invite you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 37, as we enter today into the life of Joseph. We're walking through the book of Genesis in fairly large chunks, and now we come to the final story of that book, Genesis chapter 37. Now, by way of quick review, the offspring of Eve will defeat the offspring of the serpent. That's the promise given to us in Genesis 3. It's the story of Genesis. It's the story of the Bible. Offspring of Eve will defeat the offspring of the serpent. And so it's been through Abraham and then through Isaac and, and now through Jacob. The seed line of God's covenant redeemer has continually arisen. So we enter into the next generation from Jacob's loins, whose name was changed to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. We inhabit now the life of Joseph. Jacob, he was a dreamer, wasn't he? He had dreams. He gives birth to another dreamer, this one dreamer who will rule over all his brothers and eventually over the world. The name Joseph, it means God will add. God will add to. So who is this Joseph? How does he point us to Jesus? And what does his life have for us today? Well, we're going to dive into Genesis 37 to at least begin to answer some of those questions. Will you join me first with a word of prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your son Jesus Christ and that he continues to speak as a living word to us now through your word. Would you open our ears and soften our hearts that we might receive your word, that which you have for us, to be conformed more into the image of your dear Son, from one degree of glory to the next. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of space is given to Joseph's life, isn't it? We've been going through a lot of stories, and now we get to Genesis 37, so we have over a dozen chapters remaining about Joseph's life. What's interesting, though, is Joseph's life is still hidden in Jacob's life, or in Israel. If you look at verse 1 and 2, what does it say? Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of, not Joseph, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph's story is all about the life of Jacob, the life of Israel. What happens to Joseph will indeed happen to the people of God chosen by him whose name is Israel. Themes to look for in Joseph's life. I'm going to give you a couple of things right up front here. Joseph is to bring rest to God's people. Joseph is to give rest to God's people. Joseph is indeed given. He suffers and he dies so that God's people can inhabit shalom or peace, the way things ought to be. They can inhabit that peace of God amidst famine and unrest. If you think of Joseph, think of him as a new Noah. He is the bringer of rest. That's a big theme to be looking at throughout Joseph's life. Secondly, God glorifies Joseph greatly. Glorifies Joseph, but only as Joseph descends to death and ascends again to resurrection. We're going to walk through Joseph's life, and we'll see, especially these early chapters, he's descending. Step by step, he's going down and down, descending into the pit, into the grave. But 
for those of us familiar with Joseph's story, we know there is resurrection in the morning, and he will be raised to greater glory. Joseph brings rest. Joseph is glorified through death and resurrection. Okay? We'll keep an eye on those two things. In Genesis 37, we have four incidents or four events that introduce Joseph to us, the reader or the hearer. First of all, we see that Joseph has responsibility as somewhat of an overseer over some of his brothers. Look at verse 2, where it begins, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Joseph is 17 years old. It's, the word boy there has to do with like the image of a serving boy. New Testament term of deacon. It's his father, Jacob, is Israel. It's, it's a large, almost like a kingdom. It's a sheikdom. Hundreds and hundreds of people, many, many servants. And Joseph is giving some authority over some of the work of some of his brothers already. We see Joseph ruling in some capacity over his brothers, and his brothers are delighted. The brothers hate it. I mean, if you've got an older sibling, you know what this is about. The bossy sibling, the tattletale younger sibling. Verse 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, could not speak peacefully to him. So first event, we see Joseph has some authority over his, some of his brothers. Now what we see here is that he's given a tunic of authority to go along with that. He's giving a garment that reflects the authority that he has. Now, we're reminded here in this, these couple of verses that Jacob, his name has been changed to Israel. When you read Joseph's story, the name goes Jacob, and then sometimes it's Israel. It goes back to Jacob. It's talking about the same person. But whenever it mentions, whenever it's identified as Israel, I think that he's speaking for the nation or the people of Israel. So just to something to note there as you walk through that, it can be a little confusing when you're reading in the same sentence, Jacob said this, then Israel said this, okay? This is the people who wrestle with God and man and prevail in his grace. Joseph is Jacob's son. And how does he describe here? Jacob's son of old age. Interesting. Interesting. Now, who else had a son at an old age? Who else had a son who was promised, didn't seem like it would happen, who was miraculously given from a barren womb? Yes, that's right. We're talking about Abraham and Sarah, right? Isaac was Abraham's son of old age. And so Jacob's Rachel, his, his first wife, uh, his first love, Jacob loved Rachel, she was barren for a time, but then she conceived and gave birth to Joseph. And Joseph is the one of the 12 sons acknowledged as the son of Jacob's old age, whom he loved most. Same thing with Abraham loving Isaac the most. Now, our text talks about hating and loving most, hating more. Okay, whenever it talks about hating and loving, I want to call our attention that it's talking about this hate and love in relationship to God's covenant promises. It's not making statements about an emotional like or dislike, though that 
does tend to come with that. But first I want us to see that when it's talking about hating or loving here, it's talking about in relationship to God's covenant promises. Why do I say that? Well, earlier we didn't read it, but in an earlier section, the scriptures tell us that Jacob hated Leah but loved Rachel. Now Leah fathered many sons for Jacob. It's not that he despised her, doesn't dislike Leah, but Leah was not the woman through whom the promised offspring would come. That was Rachel. Remember when Jesus has the command, whoever does not hate his mother or father cannot be my servant? He's not telling children to dislike mom and dad. He's telling his disciples that we can't put mom and dad above Jesus. So when they're talking about hate or love here, we're talking in covenant relationship with God. Will you accept that Joseph is to be exalted above all of y'all sons of mine? This is to be Jacob's word. Jacob loved Joseph more than the others in the relationship to God's promises and his covenant. Jacob loved Joseph above the others. But his sons, the others, they reject him in the same way that Esau rejected Jacob. So now Joseph's brothers reject him. Now, I saw a lot of beautifully colored pictures this morning after Sunday school class because we had talked about Joseph in class. And here we get to this, this robe here. And I want us to see this robe or, or this tunic is an expression of a hope and confidence that Joseph is to be a ruler over all the brothers, in fact, over all the world. Joseph is given a tunic by his father. Now, if you have your Bible open, you might have a footnote on there, and it's basically the footnote says, we really don't know what the adjective means describing the tunic. All right? That we, we have rainbow. We have many colored because of an earlier translation. The, the adjective is not well known. Most likely what this means is think of it more rather than like this many-color, technicolor coat. Think of it as a, a, a tunic long flowing robe that would have gone over the, the, the hands and over the feet. That's what the word tunic means here, the extending. The robe extends to the feet. Think um, if you can picture Socrates or Plato. That might be closer to it. Or for many of you, if you can picture Obi-Wan or, or maybe uh, Luke, right? The Jedis, they've got these long flowing robes. And those robes are what? They're indicative of authority and specific roles. That's what uniforms are for. This is no simple robe. It carries with it a sign of authority. In fact, it is a sign of kingly authority. This tunic is a sign that whoever wears it is to rule. The brothers don't like it. It's not just a jealousy because Joseph's given something that they're not. They see this means dad recognizes this brother as having authority. And they don't like it. So what does God do? He bears witness to this reality through Joseph's dreams. One dreamer is given to rule them all. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Let's listen to the second dream in verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. 
Now, whatever we think of these dreams, it's pretty clear the brothers understood. It's pretty clear that Jacob understood the implications of this double dream. But before they get to the interpretation, just imagine with me what it would be like to put 11 boys to bed at night. Jacob would go and he would tuck his young boys of various ages into bed and he would have to endure the several calls for just another drink of water. I have to go potty. And every stall tactic that's been around since the beginning of time, he would get them settled in and tucked in a little bit and he began to tell them stories. Boys, boys, remember great-grandpa? Abe? Remember Abraham? Remember how he lacked bread? No grain to be found. So he goes down to Egypt. Remember that? Remember how he found refuge in Egypt? Or maybe Jacob would tell of his own difficulties as he lived with Laban and how God made his crops, Jacob's crops, to grow in abundance. How the livestock would flourish under Jacob's command. And then he would go on to tell how great-grandpa also had visions where God would tell him things in these dreams where God said that, that I would make of you, Abraham, a nation, a people, and they would, they would be as numerous as what? The dust of the ground. But what else? The stars of the sky. So when Joseph has these dreams about grain, they know. They know what this is about. When Joseph has a dream about stars, the, others, the other brothers, they know who the stars are. They're the stars. They're the offspring of Abraham. And they also recognize what this means is that if we are the stars, we're bowing down to Joseph. This dream and the one about grain is saying the same thing. We're going to be bowing down to you. Verse 8, his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 10, but when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves uh, to the ground before you. And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. What is the response of the brothers and of the father? It's very similar at the first, isn't it? What's interesting in the, in the original language here, it says that the brothers Josephed Joseph. It's interesting. Joseph, the name just means add to. Right? The, he, he will add to. So what do the brothers do? They add to it. They, what do they add? They add their hatred. They Joseph, Joseph with more hatred and more hatred. Now, Jacob seems to step back a little bit too and rebukes his son. But how does, this, how does the passage end? He does what? He ponders it in his mind. He keeps it in his mind. Do you remember when Mary was given the prophecy about Jesus? What does she do? She ponders it in her heart. She keeps it in mind. This phrase has to do with, there's a hint here that Jacob is understanding. These dreams are bearing witness to my son, this dreamer who will rule them all. And it's not just one dream. It's a double witness. It's not just one dream to validate the truth, but what? A second witness is required. And God gives a double witness. God speaks to Joseph, not face to face, but through these dreams. And we'll see dreams on two other occasions in his story. 
Joseph, indeed, is one chosen by God. He is the one dreamer to rule them all. Joseph will ascend to a throne. He will be robed again in glory, and all will pay homage to him. But first, but first he must go down to the pit. Death must come before glorious resurrection, verse 12. Now, his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. Real quick, earlier chapters in Genesis, we meet Shechem, the person. He raped Jacob's daughter, Dinah. Now, a couple brothers of Dinah enacted revenge. Simeon and Levi murdered many, many of the Shechemites there. They unlawfully enacted their revenge. And it is to this place of deceit and murder that the brothers return to shepherd sheep. Are these Israel's faithful shepherds? Verse 18 through 20. They saw him from afar, and before Joseph came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. That's the key. Then we'll see. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. This dreamer. Can man thwart the plans of God? The brothers reject Joseph. They cannot believe that these dreams are from God. Although Jacob remains pondering these dreams. So an innocent man. A righteous ruler called and established by God to rule over his brothers. This righteous ruler, innocent, is plotted against and he is threatened with murder. At 17, this dreamer predestined by God for glorious rule begins to descend. And how will he respond? How will God provide for this promised ruler of his people? Joseph descends. He's going from a promised heights of kingly rule, those who would be, he who would be despised and rejected by those he came to serve. Joseph is threatened. Death and the pit are breathing down his neck, and he doesn't even know it. But rather than going through with this completely, Joseph's eldest brother steps up to save him. Verse 21, but when Reuben heard this plan, heard it, he rescued Joseph out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. The eldest brother is stepping in to save his younger brother here. But the actions of the brothers complete their rebellion and their rejection in verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. All right. It's a familiar story, isn't it? We know Joseph's story. But here's, if we step back, here's the story, isn't it? God's beloved son, his chosen redeemer, is given into the hands of his betrayers, and he is stripped. He is beaten, and he is plunged into the pit, void of living water. Only death resides. And we'll see he was betrayed again for shekels of silver. The plan is being enacted. Verse 26, 
while Joseph is in the pit. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him up out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. We're not going to shed blood. We're just going to sell him into slavery. Now, if you're Joseph, if you try to put on his sandals here, would you be asking, why me? Why is this happening here? What's coming next? If there's one theme that sums up Joseph's life, I think it probably comes from Genesis 50, where he's talking with his brothers at the end of this book, and he's saying, as for you, you meant all of these things for evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. All of these things, keep in mind as we read Joseph's life, all of these things happen for the good of God's people and for the world, that many people should be kept alive. It's a sentiment echoed by Paul later on. He says, for those who love God, all things work together for the good. This is the, the, the baseline of Joseph's story, that everybody who hears and reads this should be able to see through what's happening and understand. All of these things are happening to Joseph, and they serve good. Although, it's being thrown into a pit, being sold into slavery cannot seem like good. This is a tenet of faith, isn't it? It must be apprehended by, by faith because sight at best could see for Joseph a narrow escape here, would see only greedy brothers, would see Joseph thrown out of the frying pan of the pit into the fire of slavery in Egypt. Sons of Abraham and Isaac sell their redeemer ruler brother into the hands of the sons of Ishmael. These are Gentiles now, which emerges for us another theme. God's chosen people, they find refuge in and amongst the nations, in and amongst the Gentiles, and the Gentiles are blessed in their presence. We know Joseph's story. To know the descent into the pit is only the beginning. He continues to descend. But we also know that he does ascend once again to a throne. And that ascension is sure as it is promised early on here in those dreams. And that ascension is glorious. But here, the dreamer to rule them all is descending. And there's a little bit of comfort here in the sense that we see, what do we see from his father? His father descends with him, verse 31 and 32. Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father. And he said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Verse 34, then Jacob tore his garments, put on sackcloth, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. The father weeps with the suffering son with the suffering daughter. I mean, the imagery in Joseph's story is so rich, isn't it? If we step back just one step and begin to look big picture, what do we even have here? Well, there's an animal substituted 
to represent Joseph. And the blood is shed and put on the garment to spare the beloved son who does yet live. Another ram for Isaac is found and sacrificed here. Joseph was stripped of his cloak. Symbolically, his authority was taken from him by his brothers, as if man can take from God-given authority. Now, what is Jacob's response to, to what he hears and what the brothers tell him, what has happened to his son? His response is to tear his tunic, surely an expression of anguished grief, but also a humbling. He's divesting himself of his office as father, protector, provider. His action here is a form of prayer. He pleads with his God who has promised and who has delivered Jacob all of his days. God, you must be his father. God, you must be his protector. God, you must be his provider. He weeps and he tears his garment. Again, by faith, we trust that our father weeps as we weep, that he indeed enters with us in our suffering, even if we don't sense it or see him or he feels far off. And perhaps that's it for Joseph's story applying to our lives. Maybe it's a matter of responding in the God-given descent. When we go down into the pit, which we all have, which we all will experience. Those seasons of life that catch us by surprise, that, 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 that catch our breath as we peer over a precipice that seems to be full of imminent danger and harm, if not even death. So perhaps we respond like Jacob and we humble ourselves. In spite of all the circumstances, what they point to around us, we entrust our lives and our loved ones into the care of the God who wrestles with his people. Why is it that this is the way to glory? Why must the road to glory be traversed by the pathway of descent and the way of death? Why? Well, Joseph's life doesn't tell us. Joseph's life doesn't answer that question for us. But for those who begin to inhabit Joseph's life, his story, there's hope in the midst of despair. See, today we're going to leave Joseph in slavery. We're going to leave Jacob, his father, in sorrow. And we're going to leave his brothers in rebellion. But we know that's not the whole story. See, we weep with Joseph, but we weep as those who know there is resurrection for him. We weep as those who hope in resurrection life. And ours is a sure hope, for we have one who is like Joseph, but is a better Joseph, is a true Joseph, is a final and lasting Joseph. See, it was promised that this son would come to rule us all, that one day every knee would bow and every tongue will confess. And these words his mother pondered and cherished them in her heart. This son was sent to save his brothers, and he called them out for their wrongs. This son, too, was betrayed for silver. He was given into the hands of enemies. He was stripped of his tunic, and he was thrown into the pit. But for this Joseph, no animal was substituted. No older brother stood up to save him. 
And the only innocent blood that was shed was his own. His father did not weep to spare him. Even the Gentiles forsook him. Jesus Christ, the one to rule all, descended into the pit. Jesus Christ descended into death. And in this lies our hope. In him do we find Joseph rest. Because it is not the blood of animals that covers our tunics. It is the blood of Jesus himself. In the tearing of his tunic, the tunic of the temple is torn. Access to the heavenly places is granted now through him. We bow our knee before King Jesus now because the promise holds true. That one day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, is King of all, the one true dreamer to rule us all. See, Joseph's story ends with all authority to crush those brothers who cast him into the pit, who sold him into the slavery. And when we get to that part, I bet you money that you're rooting for him to crush these boys. But even at the end, even when they lie about what his father said or didn't say to him, he comes with mercy. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good that people might be kept alive. I do forgive you, and I will provide. In Joseph, his brothers find rest. Our brother Jesus Christ has descended to the grave, but is now risen. He has ascended his throne to rule now and forevermore. Our rest, our life, and our unending joy is found only in him, the one true dreamer to rule us all. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your son, Jesus, and now we bow before him as our king and ruler. Would you give us that sense of humility that we might be found willing to serve him in whatever capacity you call us to. We descend with him to the grave and to the pit that we might rise with him to newness of life, to walk holy and humbly after him all of our days. We pray your blessing upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen.